Hello, 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 and welcome to yet another episode of In Defense of Liberation, the podcast which fights for, uh, educates about, and uh, really is trying to work towards uh, true people's liberation and eventually a true uh, proletarian international uh, revolution. Uh, But until that comes, you know, here we are talking. Uh, today is January 13th, 2021. Uh, yeah, so like, I mean, there's not, there's not necessarily anything specifically to talk about. I mean, I'm sure there's a bunch of shit that's going on that I don't know about. I don't pay, it's weird. I'm super into like politics, super into all this stuff, but all the bullshit that happens in American politics on a day-to-day basis stresses me the fuck out. So I'm usually pretty far behind on the times of, like, what's happening there because I don't pay attention as well as I should. Um, I actually turned off my uh, Twitter notifications for a lot of different news sources because it was just getting too stressful for me. Um... But, yeah, so, uh, something that I just, uh, have had on my mind lately I've been writing about is, uh, historical materialism. So I think that that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, now I'd like to start off this by saying I am by no means an expert on the subject, right? I, uh, I have a working knowledge because of a lot of different tools and resources that exist, uh, such as, uh, Rev Left Radio, as well as their kind of spinoff show of Red Menace. Uh, check both of those shows out. They're great for, uh, a lot of resources, including, like, theory texts. I listen to some of their episodes on certain texts when I'm reading, theory, you know what I mean? Because it's like a secondary source, which gives you a lot of insights, which is incredibly useful when you're trying to learn some shit, especially like historical materialism. Uh, Another source would be uh, Marxist.org, which is uh, the IMT, the International Marxist Tendencies uh, online source. Um, I... uh, yeah, I'm not going to get into that. But, um, yeah, so those are two sources which I used uh, amongst, you know, just reading theory in general and just kind of YouTube videos, different podcasts and stuff like that. There's, I think that we, especially when we're new to the left, we have no idea where any of these resources exist. If you are in the right Facebook groups, if you're on the right Twitter, you can you can find a lot of shit, right? You can just ask, like, okay, I want to learn about this. Where's some resources about this? There's people who definitely will get you resources. That That's at least what I found. So just, you know, be cognizant of that. Um, use the... Use the avenues and the resources that we do have to, to benefit ourselves, right? Um, uh, side note, Zuckerberg is on a fucking rampage. Like, ten pages I was in got fucking booted yesterday and the day before. 
which is ridiculous, uh, but not, you know, un, not unsurprising, or not surprising, uh, not unsurprising would mean it was surprising. Okay. So, historical materialism is one of those things that's kind of like a multi-level explanation. So, let's start with the, um, the first word, historical. So, obviously, we're talking about history. Um, history is something which is near and dear to my heart. Um, I have loved history ever since my ninth grade teacher, Mr. Redhead. Shout out, uh, shout out the sun god, Mr. Redhead, um... We, uh, he made, he made that shit so fun. I, I mean, I don't know if you guys have ever had, like, a cool history teacher, right? You got, like, your cool history teacher and your cool science teachers. Um, those guys always slap. But, um, he, uh, he really got, he really got history in a way that I got history. And he made it exciting in the way that I found history exciting. And so, for the longest time, I thought I was going to be a history teacher, right? So history is very near and dear to my heart. It's, uh, I think, one of the greatest tools that we as a, uh, you know, a, uh, a species that has written history, has oral history. It's one of the most useful tools that we have. And it's one of the most um, unused tools that we have. I mean... Not even just to speak about, like, oh, nobody uses history to change the world. History is taught in a way in this country that is so boring that is, you know, not intended to learn any lessons from. And that's because we here in America don't view history in any sort of way that's intended to learn a lesson from. That is crazy. Because that is precisely what all of human civilization has been, right? Every time there was a new irrigation uh, practice, that shit got passed down. Every time there was a new cooking practice, that shit got passed down. Every time there was a new, you know, war tactic or uh, city building uh, structure or way to write your tax code or language to confuse the working class into believing that you're actually trying to help them when in fact you're putting their lives in danger for your own self-interest and gain. All of these things um, are, are pretty, um, pretty commonly passed down, right? And so why is it that those things pass down, but the lessons that you and I, the lessons that we can learn from history to help better our own situations are never taught to us or never taught to us in a way that would get us to do just that, to learn lessons from them. And I think that we can all answer that question quite well. I don't think it was a mass conspiracy against the working class. I don't think the ruling class is that competent or that um, united. I think they're organized, but I don't think the ruling class, especially now, has any necessarily uniting interests other than being a part of the, you know, unorganized, uh, or not unorganized, the fractured and uh, complicated mess that is the ruling class. Uh, But that has more to do with America's complexity as a country 
uh, as a whole than just the ruling class's missteps necessarily. But we're obviously not taught this shit because why the fuck would the ruling class of a society teach the subordinate class of that society how to become the ruling class or how to, you know, learn lessons from the former working classes in order to, at the very least, improve their current working class conditions? Why would anyone in that position teach their subordinate, you know, class those lessons? That makes no sense, right? So, the history part, the first word, historical, equally as important as anything else about historical materialism because it points out something that we today do wrong, which is we do not use history as the tool that it very well should be in order to help us address the problems of today. The second part is where I get a little bit more foggy and we're going to have to do a little bit more explanation, right? So materialism is a concept, it's a way of viewing the world um, and its uh, opposition is idealism, right? So I've done a couple episodes where I've kind of briefly hit on this to make, you know, other points, but... To give you the long and short as best as I can, idealism is believing that ideas, basically, and and this, of course, is a huge uh, paraphrasical explanation and is no way based in any sort of definition, but idealism kind of is the belief that these ideas fall from the sky into random geniuses' heads And then they take those ideas and they try to put them forward into society in order to improve that society, right? That kind of plays into the great men of history narrative that we see very common in um, countries such as ours, that that being America. Um, But this, of course, I mean, it could be true. It very well could be. Um... But the problem with that is it can't necessarily be true. And we want to be able to explain things in a way which are necessarily true, right? So the materialist would say, no, these quote-unquote geniuses come to these understandings, come to the ideas because of reflecting upon their current material conditions, or the material conditions which are in existence lead towards the necessity to, say, solve the problem of, um, you know, why the working class in uh, Paris in 1844 is extremely poor beyond belief. Like, because that problem, because the material conditions were in existence that required a solution or at the very least an answer to that problem arised and were, you know, the dominant uh, socioeconomic conditions, material conditions, that necessitated the idea which came, which answered that question, right? But that, that idea did not just fall from the sky into whomever you think first invented that idea, even though that's not how ideas work, um, it didn't just float down into someone's head. 
mysteriously and just, you know, fall upon them. And now all of a sudden this mysterious genius has the answers that we need. No, these people put, you know, some more than others, like clear analysis and work in to understand these problems in order to solve them. Um, Similar to any other science, uh, I am of the belief that Marxism as a science takes the same, you know, um, practice that a a scientist, say a biologist would, of using the scientific method to take a hypothesis and come to a conclusion, right? And one of the ways in which this is done, which, um, you know, I'm kind of getting off track here, but let me just say this quick and then we'll go back. One of the ways in which this is done and one of the reasons why I feel I can say that Marxism is a science is because Marxism has taken, you know, Lenin and the Bolsheviks in 1917 took Marx and Engels ideas and put them into practice. They said, okay, here's some theories. Let's try them out. Some might say they were successful. Some might say they were unsuccessful. One way or another, that is a conclusion. If we are to understand anything about science, it's not like every hypothesis leads to a uh, reinforcing conclusion of said hypothesis. More often than not, I'd say 90 fucking percent of the time, the conclusion disproves the hypothesis. But that doesn't necessarily that doesn't necessarily disprove the theory, right? As we all know, um, or as we all should know, if we paid attention in fifth grade science class, after you experiment and you come to a conclusion, you are supposed to re-experiment. So Lenin and the Bolsheviks re-experimented in October uh, of 1917 and reaffirmed some new hypotheses some new evolution of theories, which, you know, formerly Marx and Engels put forward, which Lenin then took and synthesized into the context which they were using them, which is how science is to be used, right? We can't lay it out like a, a flat line and expect that it's just going to work in the same way in every context. We have to uh, contextualize things. But to get back to the materialism thing, So the materialist, of course, like I said, believes that we have to come to a concrete understanding of these things in order to speak on them one way or another, really. Um, And the materialist also believes that those concrete analyses are come, are like, are solved not due to anyone's genius, but anyone's focus on the material conditions. Anyone, we must understand, can be a Lenin. Anyone can be a Mao or whoever you want to be. You got to put in the time. But there's a lot of people who think they're Lenin that have not put in any time, right? But so what is historical materialism? Okay, historical materialism is taking that understanding of the world, that materialist understanding that says the concrete material conditions are what influences society, are what influences the ideas of that society, and therefore are what influences change and structure and the systems within that society. 
and you take that mentality and you say, okay, so let's study history and let's, let's denounce the idealistic view of history because we have to understand the first person to apply materialism to history or rather a materialist lens to the study of history was Hegel. But Hegel himself was still an idealist, meaning he still held the conception that these ideas fell perfectly into these people's ideas, like, or into these people's minds. Hegel believed that he came to this understanding of doing this by no conscious decision-making of his own, by no influence of anything around him, by simple just luck of the draw, just simple genius, right? We know that this couldn't be further from the truth, or we should know that this couldn't be further from the truth, because that's such a, not for nothing, it's such a ridiculous way to view the world, right? Oh, everything is luck. Cool. Thanks, man. Like, maybe not everything can be understand in a form, understood in a formula like we might want to, but things certainly can be understood more than just simply saying it is what it is or, you know, some people are geniuses, right? That, that's a ridiculous way to understand the world. So historical materialists takes, you know, that notion that I just put forth, says, yeah, this is a ridiculous way to view history. Because prior to Hegel, the way that we viewed history was of disconnected uh, events, right? Which had no influence on one another. But if we understand history the way that we should today, we know that history directly has an influence on the present, right? The way that America functions quite, quite certainly has a lot to do with the past, with history. Um, the problems that we face today quite certainly have a lot to do with the past, with history. So, you know, why is it that we can understand that in some contexts, but not in others? Um, and it's because we choose to ignore the things which are going to disprove our former conceptions of the world. That's natural. Um, I do that all the time. Everybody does. We just got to get better at not doing it as much, right? Um, We got to try to call ourselves out on our bullshit. And that's why I honestly think that it's so good for my my own um, ideas and worldview and conceptions that I do a podcast because there's a lot of people who call me out for my bullshit, right? And so it's uh, frustrating and annoying and maddening as that can be sometimes, guess what? In the last six months, it has pushed me so far in my understandings. It has pushed me to really educate myself, and I couldn't be more thankful for it, right? So the historical materialist, then, is a pretty new conception. It is uh, wholly Karl Marx and Frederick Engels, who can be cited as the founders of this practice because even though like I said Hegel was the first to apply a materialist analysis to history he himself was an idealist so he missed a lot of points he in his conception he didn't really understand things right so the reason why this is important and I wrote a 
I wrote a paper on this for something I'm working on, which, I mean, we'll, we'll see if I put it out or not, but more than anything, I can write something else which is similar or even just do another podcast about it. But the reason why historical materialism is so important, especially today, is because the world in general, but especially here in America, well, I guess not especially here in America, as of late, in America, it is especially prevalent how much change is needed and how much change is wanted by the average person in American society. That is very new. You know, up until only recently, we were a country of the status quo. We upheld the status quo very well. Uh, the citizens of this country were very good at being brainwashed, were very good at just accepting, you know, it is what it is. That's starting to change. And so we have to understand then, if we want to make change, how to do it. There's ways to make change that help people, and there's ways to make change that hurt people. We, of course, want to make change that is going to help people. Um, More than anything, I myself want to make change that is completely going to restructure society as a whole and completely eliminate the systems and the, the relationships which exist that lead to these problems. But before we can address that, we gotta at least work on, you know, maybe passing some policies or some legislation that's gonna, you know, help people at all. So, we want to be a movement. We want to be making change which helps people, right? There's no better way to do that than to look at history and to look at all the different people, all the different movements, all the different changes which said that's what they were going to do. Because you have to understand that every change that ever happened had to, at least prior to... um, more more democratic rule, it had to have some part of popular support. Otherwise, you know, it, it wouldn't have happened in most cases. Or, if it didn't have that popular support, because maybe what it was, that change, was not actually beneficial to the people, I would argue that the American Revolution is one clear example, which, you know, said that it was going to help the people, but in fact fought against nothing which was actively oppressing the people in the American colonies. Um, There's a lot of different movements in modern society which have done that, right? Have been able to convince people that this is going to help you. Um, But we have to understand that more than anything, if we want to change the problems we're facing today, we have to address them at their core. We have to address them at their foundation. And that foundation is twofold in modern society. So first and foremost, as Marx and Engels put forth in the Communist Manifesto, all hitherto societies uh, were class struggle, whatever the fucking quote is. Basically, all of the world's history to this point has been built on one relationship, one structure of society. That structure of society has multiple different masks, has looked different in multiple different times, in multiple different spaces throughout history. 
But nonetheless, the, the relationship at the base of those different formations is the same. And that relationship is as follows. The ruling class and the ruled class. Those who are in charge of society and those are who are under control of society. Those who are oppressed, those are who are oppressing, those who are exploited, those who are exploiting. And I think a lot of times, especially here in America, we conceptualize those words to be uh, morally standing, right? Like these people are oppressing these people because they are evil. And as true as that might be, I think that we really miss the point when we try to critique these things and try to debunk these things from a moral standpoint. Because morality is fluid. Morality is perspective, right? We have to address these things on the simple fact that they do not provide, right? If you take historical materialism and you take the scientific analysis that it provides you and the tool in the toolkit of change that it provides you, and you look at the thing called capitalism, which, again, Karl Marx and Frederick Engels put in fucking time to do, and we would be remiss if we ignored it, but also, guys, not everybody is going to read Das Kapital. Not everybody has to. How about instead of when people say, hey, what do I have to read? We just start synthesizing theory for them, start teaching them, becoming the teachers, rather than becoming the teachers that we had in high school and hated, who said, oh, you want to learn something? Here's a book with 300 fucking pages in it. Go ahead and learn. Like, no. The, the, the point of learning the theory, if you're interested in it, is not to then turn around and say, oh, you're interested in it? Go ahead and read the theory just like I did. Why the fuck did you read the theory in the first place? Because guess what? All the theory that I read... I can go on YouTube right now and get a pretty accurate understanding of it in eight minutes. That's what we should be working towards doing, synthesizing that theory to teach people, right? So if you take historical materialism and apply it to capitalism, you understand that that relationship, or I'm sorry, if you take historical materialism and apply it to history, like Karl Marx and Frederick Engels did, you come to that conclusion that all societies, all history has been built on that relationship. The second fold problem that we face today is capitalism. Capitalism is a process which has developed upon that relationship and built upon that relationship to worsen that relationship. And that is because it uses that exploitative relationship for profit. And now we're at a point in time where that relationship is so foundational to the very society we live in, in every institution, in every structure of that society, in any, in every way which that society, um, interacts with one another and progresses forward, that relationship is crucial, right? But capitalism is especially disgusting because it says, we're going to do this for financial gain. We're going to watch as billions of people die from loads of, you know, easily preventable ways on an annual basis for the sake of profit. That is what capitalism is. And if you deny that truth, then you truly are disconnected from reality because 
Look at what has happened during this pandemic. How many of the billionaires that exist in the world have truly taken the steps to improve the situations which are killing people today? Again, we talk about it all the time. Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, Elon Musk could completely wipe uh, world hunger from the face of the world. Every day that they don't do that, it's a choice. Now, a lot of people would say, oh, it's not their responsibility. It's not their responsibility. Okay, cool. What we are saying is not that it's their responsibility, but that you cannot make the claim that it is an impossible thing when the resources to do that exist, they just simply are not properly allocated, right? Surely it's not the responsibility of Jeff Bezos to feed the world, but he has the means to do it, right? And so anyone who says that it is impossible to solve world hunger is lying to you. Anyone who also tells you that overpopulation is a thing, side note, wrote about this in my blog this morning, which you should check out on forliberation.wixsite.com slash website. Anyone who talks to you about overpopulation is a fucking piece of shit because you want to know why there's problems with overpopulation? Because we all live in very densely populated, small part, like portions of the land masses which exist. There is so much land to be had, which we could be living on, but oops, we spend all of that land on farming, uh, oil, uh, uh, I guess farming isn't a proper one, except for, uh, you know... monoculture farming for profit but besides the point for oil reserves for you know um, drilling and stuff like that um, for all kinds of profiteering but not for actually you know giving people a place to live that's kind of something that land could be doing that we're not using it for so it's evident that capitalism not only makes capital as a resource poorly distributed but resources in general you know Americans throw away $150 billion worth of food every year. Um, 20 to 30 million Americans go without proper medical insurance, even though they're, you know, that, or without proper, proper medical care, even though those things are readily available to be provided to them, they just simply don't have the means, quote unquote, the funds to provide for themselves, right? So long, short conclusion here, cause I got to get going, um, Historical materialism is incredibly important and is a tool which can help us to understand the problems we're facing today because it completely avoids the idealism which blinds us a lot of times in our analysis of the world. A lot of us come to a conclusion that the given circumstances that we live in are uh, supposed, right? Uh, We take for granted that capitalism is a Depending on what you want to consider capitalism, about a two to a 500 year blip on a hundred billion year history of the earth. You know, human beings have been alive for, I I mean, I think right now we're sticking with like the hundred thousand year mark or something like that. Capitalism has only existed for at max 500 years of that. It is not the end all be all. So if anyone's analysis makes them believe that capitalism is the only thing that can come about. Capitalism is the the last point. It's the end of history. They're just simply wrong. Um, I will, however, say real quick that maybe not, right? Climate 
climate catastrophe is a real life thing that we are actively dealing with right now, right? It it should not be understated that we are in a point of necessity. I think a lot of people are talking about communism and stuff like this as a fun idea. They're talking about revolution as a far off horizon. This shit needs to be happening like yesterday, like 15, 20, 40, 100 years ago. It hasn't, so we got to start now, okay? Historical materialism gives us the tools to look at history and learn from revolutions of the past, change of the past, um, that has failed, that has succeeded, and improve upon that, um, and to use those lessons to make change that will succeed, that will help people today. Um, if you're still listening to this, uh, I appreciate you. I love you. Thank you very much. I hope everybody has been staying safe, been staying healthy during these times. Um, I know that a lot of us are struggling and it really breaks my heart to know that so many people are struggling. Um, but until we really start attacking these problems as a whole um, in their foundation, at their center, they're not going to improve. And I can guarantee you that the state, whatever that looks like, is not going to do that for us. Again, why would the ruling class take away its own ruling power? We have to be the ones to make that change. And so we have to become educated. And that's why I think that episodes like this on things like historical materialism and why it's important to really learn and understand are important because it's a tool in our toolkit, which so many people disregard as being old fashioned or useless or philosophical in a way that doesn't benefit practice. Like, no, Historical materialism is a is a worldview is a, again a tool in our toolkit which helps us to better analyze and therefore act upon our theories and our worldviews in order to improve society again not in a way that harms people but in a way that helps people there are lessons to be learned in society in history if we choose not to learn them That is our own goddamn fault, and it is why we continuously fail in America, because we do not learn from these lessons. I don't care whatever organization you're part of. If they are not spending an explicit amount of time on these lessons, they are not doing anything to help you, right? We can do all the mutual aid we want. We can do all the GoFundMe shit that we want. We can do all the meetings that we want, reading theory as much as we want. But if we're not taking these concrete theories, applying them in order to learn lessons, and then taking those very lessons and acting upon them in a way which is going to improve the very society we are a part of, then we are doing ourselves a misservice. We are doing the people that we intend to help a misservice. And ultimately, we are missing the point, right? And I think that that is truly the critique of the left in general. The left in America is missing the point. That's it. They're not wrong. They're not any kind of, you know, demonizing character or description. They're missing the point. And that has a lot to do with what it's like to grow up in such a privileged first world country. But it also has a lot to do with, you know, 
the systems and structures which exist which lead us to these false ideological conclusions for the sake of avoiding this change. Again, why would the ruling class give the oppressed people the tools to overthrow that ruling class? So we have to give ourselves the tools. We have to educate ourselves on the tools. We have to sharpen our skill with the tools. And so that's what I and many other people like myself intend to do. And so we got to organize people. We got to take these tools and we got to come together and we got to actually improve change. I'm working on organizing right now. That to me has literally just been talking with people who are actively organizing. That's all organizing is, okay? You don't have to build this structured vanguard party or anything like that, although that is incredibly necessary. You don't have to uh, be the most you know, productive mutual aid organization in your community. You just simply have to do that, build community. And so that's something I'm working on and something that I think a lot of us A lot of us think we can't do until we do it. Two weeks ago, I wouldn't have been able to tell you that I was organizing. I I would have said, I have no idea how to go about it. You know what I've done? I listen to podcasts, and when someone on there is an organizer, I email them. Or I find them on social media. And guess what? Almost every single time they have gotten back to me. If you have an interest in this, do that. I can be one of those people you can reach out to. I love building community. I love building solidarity. I think that's something we really need to do on the left. We really need to come together as human beings and form a community. Before we can build anything of political power, we have to have a community, right? So let's build that community. You can reach out to me, annoyingquestionboy at gmail.com. You can find me on all social media, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at In Defense of Liberation. If you enjoyed what you listened to and you want to listen to more, you can stream me just about anywhere you find podcasts by searching In Defense of Liberation. I have a bunch of episodes that might still be listed under my former podcast name, Annoying Question Boy, because I still have yet to figure out how to um, change that. I've been busy like a motherfucker, so we're working on that, but... And then if you also have an interest in reading shit like this, you know, maybe you don't have the time to listen to stuff, but you, you have the ability to read something. Um, you can find my website for liberation.wixsite, W-I-X-S-I-T-E dot com forward slash website. And my blog is on there for liberation and all of what I'm talking about is in written form. So go ahead and check that out. Uh, I hope everybody's doing well. I love you all. Solidarity with you all. Um, And I hope to speak again sometime soon. Uh, But until next time, folks, uh, to liberation and to revolution. uh, This has been Josh in defense of liberation, the podcast fighting for, educating about, and working towards creating a people's liberation movement and ultimately a proletarian internationalist revolution. Uh, Thank you for listening and have a great day. We'll see you next time. Bye.